flat world surrounded by a God-made flesh. Rivers of magical energy that flow throughout the world. Elemental dragons that banded together to create an empire. Political intrigue, subterfuge, elitism, and shifting loyalties. Gods that will do anything to maintain their position. The diversity of races across the land. Let's get it on. everyone, welcome to That Midgard Show, a podcast dedicated to discussing the Midgard campaign setting published by Cobalt Press. I'm Clayton Thompson, and I manage the Midgard Adventures Discord server. We're an independent cooperative group that is affiliated with Cobalt Press, and we run regular organized play games using Shard, Foundry VTT, and Roll20, as well as some IRL games in a few locations around the United States. Midgard Adventures is a place to adventure in Midgard setting, as well as talk lore, share ideas and advice, and to gather in a fun, safe place. Our community is open to everyone, particularly those new to Midgard and D&D. So check us out. There's an invitation available in the section uh, down below. And joining me is as host is Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, hey everyone. Uh, I'm Joe Ticello. Uh, besides being a member of the Midgard Adventures community, I have been playing D&D for about 28 years as both a player and a DM, and uh, I have a YouTube channel you may have heard of called DM Toolbox. Uh, I've been doing that for about a year and a half, and uh, you know, it's mostly to help DMs to just find tools to help them kind of enhance their games. I do reviews of you know, mostly third-party products, third-party books, uh, you know, Kickstarters, uh, Patreons, anything that I think might help you to enhance your game. And then uh, I also have a few other socials like my TikToks and things like that. And all that good stuff will be down below in the show notes. Yeah, if you haven't watched Joe's show, definitely check it out. You know, a lot of great stuff. I love it. I catch every episode as soon as, uh, as, soon as he releases it. So why? It. Yeah, yeah. So why the show? <laughs> you, know, you know, Joe and I love the Midgard lore and we want to talk about it with you all. You know, because there's a deep well of Midgard lore with more coming all the time, we thought a show such as this would be of value to players and GMs interested in Midgard. And also, since Cobalt Press considers their content a toolbox for your own campaigns, we'll also provide you advice on how to incorporate the content into your game. Yeah, and we'll also kind of give tips and tricks on how to take content from other settings and adapt it to Midgard. Uh, you know, the most important part of the show is that we'll only discuss published material and our interpretation of that content. Remember that, you know, Midgard is a, a setting that a lot of people play in. You should always make it your own. But this is going to be our interpretation of it. And, you know, there are many ways to use that Midgard content. And there's going to be times when even Clay and I have different approaches, different opinions. You know, we see things a little differently. And we'll discuss that and, you know, hopefully get some of your feedback on how you see it. And we want to really encourage you to talk about those interpretations of yours. Um, you know, comment down below. Let us know what you think about stuff. And you know, we can always discuss that in future episodes. Uh, you know, so even better, make sure you head over to that Discord link that uh, Clay mentioned earlier and discuss on the server with us. We're on there all the time. We have a very active community. So come be a part of that with us. 
Yeah, totally. You'll hear Joe and I uh, talk about how your mileage will vary, you know, in your interpretation. So, you know, you know, tell us what you think, you know, do you think we're full of it or, you know, do you have a different interpretation of that? You know, that's what the show is all about is for uh, us to uh, talk about, you know, our ideas as well as bring our audience ideas uh, to light as well. So we're targeting to release episodes on a weekly schedule on YouTube as well as audio versions on all the major podcast platforms so you can listen to us without being tied to a screen. So let's get into it. Joe, what attracted you to the Midgard setting? Well, you know, I think for for me, it's kind of what we were just talking about, right? Uh, I like that. It's what I call the magic formula. It's this right balance of established lore, but it, it's built with enough leeway to make it my own world and play it without feeling like I'm going to break the world, right? When, when I got into D&D back in the you know early, mid-90s, Dragonlance was my jam. That's the setting I played in. But I find that Dragonlance has almost been in this overestablished setting where I feel kind of constrained by the lore. And I, I'm afraid I'm going to break something if I don't do it a certain way. But with Midgard, I feel like I can just destroy a city, reshape nations, and that's okay. You know, in my version of Midgard, maybe I just, you know, raise Zobek to the ground and in yours, it became a vast empire. And that's cool. So that's one of the big things for me. Um, you know, um, I spent time in, you know, Forgot Realms. I've, you know, done a, you know, a bunch of home brewing. I had my own world. Uh, I was even, you know, pulling stuff from like Pathfinder and 4E Adventures, converting it all to 5E. And I just really wanted something more, something a little bit more established. And, you know, I'd already been playing with the the Cobalt Press monster books, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, like Tome of Beast and Creature Codex and all of those. And a friend of mine suggested check out Midgard. And, you know, he said, go get the Midgard world book. So I did. And as soon as I picked that thing up, I was hooked. I was just all in. I mean, we're talking this, like, massive, diverse world, unique properties. I just love things like lay magic, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, you know, down the line a little later today even. Um, but, you know, I don't think I really started, unfortunately, with Midgard until maybe, like, 2020. So I kind of felt like I missed a lot. And I've really been playing catch up, which I think I've done pretty well on in, like, a pretty big way. So it's just become the setting that I love. It's my go-to setting. But what about you, man? What, what kind of brought you into to Midgard? Right on. Um, hey, one word, vampires. You know, uh, Midgard has an entire country that is ruled by vampires and other undead. And when I heard about that, I was just like, oh, I got to check this out. But uh, I uh, played the... Uh, D and D, uh, you know, in high school, and then you know I got out of it. And then when Five E came out, you know, my neighbor, you know, was totally into D and D, and he got me back. You know, he brought me back in. And uh, when I started reading, you know, the Five E content and, and you know all the lore, you know, I was all in. Um, I kind of restricted myself to the hardcovers that were released by Wizards, and uh, and I also participated in Adventure Leagues. Uh, which is, you know, or Wizards organized play arm. Um, you know, the content was fun, yeah. but uh, o- over time I found it to be, you know, far too human centric. You know, the, the fantasy books that I used to read, you know, there were a lot of different races, you know, sometimes it was a little low magic. Uh, so I started to delve into, you know, the 3E content, the 4E content and Pathfire, 
Pathfinder contest for more diversity. And in 2017, you know, a friend of mine was cleaning out his bookcases because he needed room for his other stuff. And he gave me a stack of uh, RPG books. And in there was the Midgard campaign setting that was created for Pathfinder 2 uh, back in 2012. And, you know, I was skimming through the book and I came across that the first thing I opened when I opened up was, you know, the uh, was Morgau, you know, the, the country that was ruled by vampires. And, and then as I flipping through, you know, there's this matriarchal society. Uh, and uh, and then there was another country, you know, that was ruled by dwarves. And, and I found Midgard to be far more gritty, far more diverse. And for me, it made for much better storytelling as a DM, and, and I was intrigued. I didn't really jump in hard until 2018. That's when the, uh, the Kickstarter for the Midgard World book and Hero, Hero's Handbook uh, was going on. And once I got those books, um, I was all in. You know, I, I love the setting. I, I love the lore. And, and about the same time, an, an organized play group called Midgard Adventures was uh, was. Uh, was came about, you know, founded by uh, Mark uh, Turbay. You know, I found his uh, post on Co Cobalt Press's uh, Facebook page and I just jumped in. You know, I started playing games, uh, you know, meeting people, you know, talking about, you know, the setting. I started GMing, you know, Midgard was my jam and I never looked back. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I had a buddy who was like, you don't have Toma Beast, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. So that was actually my, my first Cobalt Press book was Toma Beast. And, but yeah, I mean, what a difference. I actually have a buddy too that I, uh, he DMs for me. I actually get to be a player once in a while. Right on. And uh, I met him because I, I got my dog from him. And I was over at his house. I see D&D &D books on the floor. And I was picking out the puppies. And we started talking. So the next time I went over, I brought Creature Codex with me. And now, like, he is hooked. I mean, he doesn't do Midgard, but he is obsessed with all the Cobalt Press monster books. So it's definitely one of those those settings and uh, those books that I think people just draw people in, man. Like, I feel like everybody knows what Tomo Beast is. Yeah. Are you uh, DMing any uh, Midgard games? Uh, so my my long, almost four-year-long campaign ended earlier this year, and we've been setting up to start a Midgard campaign We've had a few uh, swing and a miss failed attempts to get our first session with the holidays around. But I think maybe in about two weeks, we're going to be having uh, session one. We've already had session zero. Everybody has their characters and we got minis. We're ready to go. So we're going to be starting a full on Midgard campaign uh, starting in Zobek uh, come, you know, hopefully uh, two weeks from now. So I'm really excited to be diving in because I've been doing just you know, I've, I've played plenty of uh you know, Cobalt Press stuff, and I've run what, lots of one shots. And, you know, I did uh, some stuff with them at Gen Con. You know, I ran games for them at Gen Con. But, uh, you know, uh, to get a full on long term campaign going, it's something I've been really trying to get done, and it's finally happening. So I'm super excited. That's awesome. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm actually running two campaigns. You know, uh, one is uh, in, on the Southlands continent. Uh, you know, right now, you know, we've been playing for two years and my, uh, uh, my game has primarily been set in, uh, Nuria Natal, which, uh, if you want an analog, uh, in, in our world, you know, it's kind of very Egyptian-ish. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, we're going to start, uh, moving, uh, towards the center of content, uh, in a jungle, you know, that's, you know, called the, the Kush. Um, yes. think of it as Heart of Darkness, um, you know, Apocalypse Now, if you've seen that movie. And, uh, and, and it's basically a jungle that wants to kill you. 
you know, and, and also one of the great walkers are, are there. And, uh, you know, we'll talk more about that, you know, okay, uh, yeah. in, in future I episodes. I any of them were down there. I thought they were all out in the West. I didn't yeah, there's that. one. There's one down there. You know, it looks like a big giant tree. Um, but, yeah. And, uh, and, and then these like vine lords, you know, that uh, pop yeah. off from it, you know. And so it's really kind of, you know, creepy and cool. But uh, Are you going to go by that, that big lake at all, that giant lake in, in Southlands? Oh, totally. You know, that's, that's, uh, uh, further, it's further, uh, east. Yeah. And, uh, there's a whole city, you know, yeah. that is and built on top of the lake. And I uh, feel like there's a creature in there that would make a great, uh, a perfect, great old one for a warlock too. Oh, totally. There's some, yeah. there, there's something definitely cool underneath yeah. that lake, you yeah. know, there, but there's uh, some cool stuff down there and I want to get in there. <laughs> yeah. And then also, uh, a separate group, you know, uh, we're doing a Midgard version of Curse of Strahd. And um, totally fun. Um, you know, I really, really like gothic horror. You know, that, that's one of my favorite genres. You know, the, uh, the Ravenloft story has, has just been something that I, I've been tied to since, you know, the very early days of, of Strahd and, uh, you know, Tracy Hickman's uh, work, you know, on that. And uh, so, you know, I, I adapted the story uh, to make it more Midgardy. And, uh, you know, one of these one, in, in one feature episode, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, how uh, we've taken uh, Wizards content and adapted it for right. uh, Midgard. But uh, but uh, right now, you know, my uh, my party's that old bone, bone grinder. You know, they just found out, you know, the ingredients of the dream pastries and, uh, you know, they're trying to uh, figure out, you know, what to do you know, That's about awesome. some morally grade choices uh, that they, they, <laughs> they've been, choices. yeah. And, 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 and you know, if, if you're playing, you know, strictly, you know, from the book, you know, I think it's a little less gray and more black and white, you know, honestly, but uh, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, that, that's what I've been doing, you know, and then, you know, here and there, I've been uh, doing some, you know, one shots as a player, yeah. uh, you know, in, in our uh, Midgard Adventures IRL uh game in, uh, in the Chicago area. So, nice. so yeah, I get to play, I get the, the GM and, uh, yeah. And, uh, that's, that's dig it. You know, Midgard's my jam. It's my exclusive uh, setting and, uh, really love it. Yep. I, I like, I do a lot of the one shots right now. Like I, right up here, uh, I've got dibs, uh, wagon of doom that I built for my players. So we're going to be playing with <laughs> that real soon. Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. That's yeah. literally how I plan on having them meet is because they're in two groups of three. They're bringing uh -huh. together in a, in a city square in Zobek, and Dib's gonna come rolling in, and they will they will come in and kind of save the day. And uh, um, I can't remember the kobold's name now, but there's that kobold that gives tours around Zobek. They're gonna end up saving him, and he's gonna give them a ride too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dib is one of those iconic Midgard characters. You know, we'll definitely yeah. talk more about Dib. I'm gonna make him like Skeletor. He's always gonna get away and be like, "Until next time." <laughs> <laughs> right on. Hey, where did Midgard come from? So where where it came from is really it was a brainchild, right, uh, of uh, Wolfgang Barr. So Wolfgang, uh, funny enough, he, he is, was not a writer. He was a chemist. Uh, he was a chemist by training, uh, but he actually ended up going to work. Uh, for TSR in Lake Geneva, uh, and then was to the coast in Seattle eventually. But, you know, he's one of those guys who back, I believe he was say, saying that back in high school, he was like writing little stuff and sending it in. That's kind of like his early, early days, as so many people did. Um, but, 
you know, there's not really an official bio out there for him. Uh, but with a little, you know, Googling, there is the Pathfinder wiki that had some cool info. So a few notes here is that, uh, you know, like we said, he was a, he was a chemist by training. Uh, he, but he's been part of the, the tabletop gaming world for like two decades. Uh, he started as, uh, uh, with TSR as an assistant editor on Dragon Magazine back in like early 80s. Uh, he then worked, uh, his way to the position of editor of Dragon. And it was involved with like freelance design and editing for Planescape, Alquadim, uh, and most of the other settings of like the early to mid nineties, uh, role playing scene. Uh, back in like 95, uh, he left TSR. He moved from like Geneva to Seattle and he worked at Wizards of the Coast for a short time where he designed a, a number of like computer, car, tabletop games, uh, and as well as like that popular dark matter campaign setting. Um, in 98, he moved away from kind of the corporate gaming world and has since had a pretty successful career as like a, a freelance writer, uh, designer, publisher, uh, including uh, Green Ronin Publishing, um, what is it, uh, Malhavik Press, Piazzo, Wizards of the Coast. So he's done a bunch of stuff there. Uh, in 2006, he founded Open Design, which kind of led us to where we are today because uh, in the spirit of creating a, a community of gamers and artists, designers to discuss how to create uh, and have more fun with adventures and kind of how to write better ones. So he kind of started all that and he continues to write freelance magazine articles, adventures, other gaming content. Uh, he published Cobalt uh, Quarterly, which was uh, you know a, a, a periodical magazine, which I think you could probably still grab copies of on one of those like drive through RPG maybe or something. Uh, they're also available at the Cobalt Press store. Yeah. Also available at the Cobalt Press store. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he did, like I said, he did that uh, stuff with Al Quidim. He actually told a really cool story about how he got involved with Al Quidim uh, during Gen Con. But uh, because of that experience, uh, Piazzo tapped him to write the inside cover text uh, of their Legacy of Fire Adventure Path back in spring of 2009, which, funny enough, I mentioned earlier that I was pulling stuff from Pathfinder 4E to use in my 5E games. Well, one of the very first adventures I did that with was Legacy of Fire. Um, so that the first adventure there was a lot of fun. Uh, but you know that kind of um, that kind of in, in those those Alquadim type stuff kind of invoked the 1001 Arabian Nights, and he was given uh, credit for them in the introduction to uh, the Jackal's Price, uh, since he received actually no official credit on any of the books, tables of contents. So he has quite the history uh, in the RPG industry. But then Midgard comes around, right? So Clay, why don't you kind of tell us about how Midgard itself came to be? Yeah, and this is uh, information that we pieced together, you know, through uh, various uh, interviews uh, uh, done with uh, Wolfgang. But uh, he's always talked about how Midgard uh, started uh, as a setting uh, from when he was 14 year, years old. You know, it was his homebrew campaign uh, that he ran D&D games uh, uh, for. Uh, but uh, un unlike a lot of similar long-running projects, which often turned into that human-centric low-fantasy world, adult Wolfgang, he took Midgard, you know, to the next level, and he developed it in a way that distinguished itself, and in, in, this is my opinion, but uh, it distinguished itself amongst all the other RPG settings by uh, utilizing 
you know, great world building techniques. In fact, he has published a, a, a book of essays on world building and things like that. And, you know, he really believes that the best way uh, to uh, begin a world is to start in one place. And Zobeck was the place that uh, he started. But he also mixed in a great deal of Central and European folk tales, which served as the major inspirations. And and like I said earlier, you know, his initial products centered around the free city of, of Zobeck. And that is a clockwork city that sits on the edge of a foreboding forest. So think of Grimm's fairy tales, you know, type forest, you know, Black Forest in, in Germany. Yep. Um, you know, the, the Margrave, you know, which was just that forest, you know, just uh, north uh, of uh, Zobeck. Um, it, it's said to have a mind of its own. And, and that is a place that you can spend a long time adventuring yeah. in. It's its own setting. Well, totally, totally. And uh, if, if you want a creepy, you know, a haunted forest, you know, Margrave is, is the place to be. Yeah. But uh, over time, more material was released uh, for Midgard in the Kobold Quarterly and, uh, and through Open Design, which was uh, uh, his uh, publishing house. And, you know, the, the, a little known fact or, 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 or major fact, you know, that people know is that Wolfgang started doing crowdfunding of, uh, of uh, content, you know, before there was even a Kickstarter. Uh, he called it a tip jar. And uh, and then it kind of uh, blossomed from there. And and in fact, there were some uh, uh, community uh, sponsored um, uh, projects that you can't buy. You know, there, there's two of them that I that 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 comes to mind. You cannot find them published anywhere. It was released only uh, to the uh, backers, you know, of the project. And uh, boy, I give. Tesla Shadowcrag being one of them. You know, Shadowcrag did uh, eventually come up, but uh, an early version of Castle Shadow Shadowcrag for sure. And uh, you know, the the other title just kind of left my head, and you know, yeah. we'll probably put it in the uh, description we'll notes tomorrow. We we'll remember what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in 2012, you know, he uh, really buckled down and released a the Midgard campaign setting for Pathfinder, Pathfinder First Edition, and the Age System. And uh, and based on our research, you know, uh, uh, Open Design, you know, released uh, Midgard materials uh, for third edition through fifth edition, um, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfire One E, Thirteenth uh, Age, Swords and Wizardry, and the uh, Age System. But yeah. the bulk of the content, you know, I, I would say ninety percent of it is is five E, and a huge investment. To, uh, was made, uh, um, you know, on that uh, RPG edition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, back in was it uh, 2018? Uh, they released uh, what you would consider a mostly system neutral world book, right? Uh, which kind of advanced the setting 10 years, which is kind of cool because when they did their Pathfinder campaign setting book, you know, it was done very well. And then they said, all right, let's release a new one that's kind of system neutral Pathfinder slash 5 ebook. And they said, well, let's bring everything up 10 years. So when you read through that book, you will see the, the differences. You'll see, you know, they'll talk about what it was like before and bring it up to speed to now. And, you know, they have those books out now. I know if you're listening, you can't see it, but I'm holding up the Midgar World book. This one has the 5e logo on it, but there is a version that does not. And really, there's not much difference. It's just a couple of tables. So uh, regardless of which one you have, they work. 
Um, they also came out with their Patreon, right? Which uh, supported their Warlock and Warlock Layers projects. Uh, that launched sometime in 2018. Uh, and uh, it basically offered kind of, it was almost like their uh, their play test platform. They would release new content, new stuff that would, they would put out to us and we can play with. And a lot of times that stuff makes it into published books. And then with the Warlock Layers, it was adventures. Same thing. A lot of these adventures, they would put out on a monthly basis to their Patreons. You can get it in a little print pamphlet or PDF um, through that. And they're fantastic. And they release uh, compilation books of those every year. And they're amazing. But unfortunately, we're going to see Warlock Patron heading off into the sunset this year. Uh, they announced just recently that uh, as a, af after this month, it's pretty much done. We're not going to get charged for it anymore. We're not going to see new stuff in 2023. But from what I think they've said, it sounds like their their blog on the Cobalt Press site is going to become a little more prominent. They've already been releasing much bigger articles for the blog. And if, if you are a Cobalt Press fan and you haven't checked out the blog, what a resource that in itself is. You should be checking that out every week. I think on Mondays, they always drop some new content. And a lot of times, it's like a series of stuff. So that's something really amazing to be checking out. Yeah, there's um, articles going back all the way um, to 2012. So there, so there's age stuff, stuff, Pathfinder stuff, you know, lore. I mean, yeah. like I was looking for like a specific piece of lore I couldn't find in the books anywhere. And I found a blog article on it. And I'm like, this is what I needed. Like there's so much cool stuff in those blog posts. They're, they did a series just recently that I'm following about um, about clerics and how to give them like this clerical quest kind of thing for their god. So much cool stuff. Just it's it, it's a resource that uh, needs to be tapped more. Um, I'd actually argue that, and I think you would agree, right? That KP has probably released more content in terms of lore and player options than Watsi has. Oh, totally, um, totally. I mean, the Tome of Heroes book that recently came out is probably my favorite book of 2022. That book is just packed full of really cool stuff. Especially, I love their gunpowder rules in there. Um, then as far as adventure content, it, I would say it's pretty evenly matched, uh, when you take into account like adventure league DMs guild, stuff like that. I mean, so much stuff. There's actually, uh, I'm sure we have a link to it on the discord. There's definitely a link to it on the Facebook site, uh, for, uh, Lou's, um, spreadsheet that gives, uh, every adventure released, every official Cobalt press adventure released, uh, by level by region, by location, so you can find the exact adventure you want to run where you are for your level range. It's, it's a phenomenal tool, and he keeps it up to date. He just released a new one a couple days ago. Um, you know, another difference uh, I'd say is that KP, you know, never positions Midgard lore as uh, monolithic, right? It, it's, it's, it's very unique, it's very diverse, it's very flexible. Um, which is what drew me to it. Like I said, we, we can destroy cities and it's okay. Like I literally asked questions about stuff to some of the authors. and They're like, I left that vague intentionally. Do what you want with it. You tell me what it's like, you know? Yeah. And, you you could even pick a spot on the map and then put yeah. a new city there, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and I'll use other, other publishers books, you know, to, to create and flush out cities that haven't been flushed out. Things like spectacular settlements to just flush that stuff out. It's fantastic. Uh, you know, and, and Wolfgang has stated publicly many times that he feels that the mid card content exists to augment 
your own setting or at the very least your own games uh you know more so than being just this exclusive rigid setting here it is play it like this like he will tell you do what you want with it man it's yours i i gave here it is here here's a present he gave us a little present and said do you do whatever you want with it it's yours now and it's it's just it definitely captured me in that way so um but yeah i mean you know and that kind of i i would say you know kind of brings us into if somebody wants to get into this right like if they're like all right well this sounds cool clay this sounds cool joe i want to get into midgard what books should i get to start you know i held up that world book is that the book i need like what would you suggest if, if you had to say this at a minimum you know th and this is a, you know a suggestion what would you say are, yeah. are your books? yeah i mean uh i'm with you joe you know at a minimum you know the midgard world book you know it's that thick you know it it covers every region on the map and uh and again you know like like joe said you know there there's some elements in here that are very vague you know that allows you to do what you uh, want with it um so yeah definitely the uh world book you know this is the limited edition cover that i got to through the you're wondering what the difference is guys yeah. he's just showing off his limited edition yeah, yeah. These, this is a very sought after hard to find version of the book but yeah book. yeah but um but you know it's it's system agnostic you know really yes. you know and um so you know if you play age or uh, anything else you know the lore is still good yep. the other thing i would recommend you know at a minimum and i'll probably like change my mind on this is 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 the hero's handbook you know this came out at the same time as as the world book but i i'd probably say you know, get this one or the uh, the Tome of Heroes. You know, the content in here is also in in uh, Tome of Heroes, plus a gob more races and subclasses and things like that. And so, with these two books, you got everything you need. You know, yeah. and and that coupled with the uh, blog content, uh, that's it. You're done. You know, you don't have to spend any more money. And all of their stuff is available as a PDF if uh, you don't want to invest in the uh, hardcovers or live. In, uh, in 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 uh, a country where you know shipping is is right. cost prohibitive, but um, you know some should haves you know and and these are these are uh, this this next one is is conditional upon you know are you going to adventure there you know so you know should have is 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 the Zobek book you know there's a lot of information in the Midgard Handbook about Zobek uh, this is uh, Cobalt Press's latest uh, Zobek Clockwork Heroes they got a bunch of other. Um, publications on uh, Zobek, but uh, a lot of that material has uh, has uh, rolled up into this, and uh, and uh, more content was added. And watch Joe's DM toolbox on this book. You know, a lot of lot of lot of great information. Yeah, uh, no put just in that, did that so. video like a couple yeah. weeks ago. It's yeah, a good book. and if you're a, if you're a GM, you know, Cobalt Press has four bestiaries. Pick any one of them. You know, there's or all oh, of them. yeah, or all. <laughs> there, there's 400 creatures in there, way more creatures than you possibly use. But you know, I'm kind of a creature hoarder, and yeah. I love bestiaries. You know, they 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 the, the bestiaries provide me inspiration for you know encounters and stories and, and things. I'm gonna, like I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your favorite of the four books? Oh God, that's like picking you know between your kids. Um, I, I have to say the most recent one, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Beast three, uh, man, there, there are some hard hitting, cool creatures. Uh, if you like oozes, 
that that book has some killer oozes. And, and I think we're going to do a little uh, a little creature spotlight in some future episodes where we'll pick some favorite creatures out of those books. Yeah, and most importantly, we're going to suggest how to play them. Yes. Um, and uh, but you know, there's a lot of lore behind them, and that's what's great about you know the bestiaries yep. is you know they include the lore. And then I think a nice to have, and again, this is a conditional book uh, uh, if you're going to adventure in that area, is the Southlands. The Southlands is a huge continent. Not as thick as the World Book, but it's just one one continent. But um, man, you, you you can spend forever in just the Southlands. You can spend forever in Zobek, you know, for that yeah. matter. You know, so uh, Joe, what about you? I mean, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretty much agree with you here. The World Book is a must have, you know, and I want to, I want to throw this disclaimer that that book, right. It's a huge book. You do not have to read this cover to cover. My suggestion to people is read through the first chapter because it gives you the history of the world. It gives you some good information about how things work. And that's part of the point of this show is we're going to be kind of walking through this book and talking about the different things to help you. So when you say, I want to run an adventure, you know, in the seven kingdom or the seven cities, um, what do I need to know about that? You can maybe queue up that episode of our show at some point and listen to that and it will help. But use that book and read the section of it that you want for your particular you know, game or your sessions. Yeah. Um, I would agree with you that the Heroes Handbook, I know you said Tome of Heroes could be replace it. I see Tome of Heroes as more of, you know, uh, an add-on, almost like Xanathar's, um, you know, adds on or Tasha's adds on to the Player's Handbook. I think that the Midgard... Uh, Heroes Handbook not only gives you race and class options, teaches you about lay magic and all this stuff. It also gives the players uh, a nice little overview section at the beginning of of uh, what Midgard is. So everything in the world book, they kind of do this really quick, like four page summary, just so players kind of get a good feel of it. Um, and, you know, and there's spells and stuff in there. So I think that it, it is definitely a, a, a must have for everybody. I would also argue that Deep Magic might be a must-have because Deep Magic is uh, really expands on the magic of Midgard. There's a lot of unique things. It kind of touches on some of the Hero's Handbook, but it really flushes them out in Deep Magic. You're talking about a book with 700 new spells, and I'm not going to tell you that every one of those spells is perfect and you know great. There, there's some off-balance spells in there, but for the most part, Deep Magic does an amazing job of, of flushing out the magic of Midgard. And you can get the spell decks and stuff like that for it. It's a great, great book. Yeah. Uh, Plus there are pocket editions for... There are. There are pocket editions yeah. for all these. Yeah. For the monster books, for Deep Magic. Um, not for the, the Midgard uh, world book, but... There's right. <laughs> um, as far as should-haves, you know, I'm going to just say everybody should have the monster books. Even if you are... Don't play in Midgard. I feel like every dungeon master should have at least one, if not all, of the monster books from Cobalt Press because they're just better. You know, the the CRs are are more in tune to what the challenge of an encounter definitely should be. Um, the monsters are just more fun in, in these books than anything else out there, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, the the casting uh, creatures in that book is OGL spells. You know, yeah. so you don't have to buy supplemental resources, but, uh, but, uh, of course you can always change up those spells as well, you know, bringing in cobalt press stuff or, yeah. you know, some of your other Watsi spells. And they'll actually, some creatures have, if you go through like those, those monster books are not, uh, mid books. They are just monster books. 
Um, so it is not specific to the Midgard setting, though many of these creatures are found in Midgard, and they will tell you about that. They'll have a blurb on it, or some of them will actually have a Midgard version where they swap the spells out right. for Midgard spells, and they'll say, you know, reference the Midgard Heroes Handbook or reference Deep Magic for descriptions of these spells, but they will tell you, yeah, you know, here's a Midgard version of the monster, and here's how you use this monster in Midgard. So they do kind of put blurbs in there, but it is not a Midgard monster book specifically. Yeah, important distinction. Yeah, very important distinction. So everybody buy those books. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as a nice to have, you know, uh, I'm kind of with you on your Southlands and Zobek picks. Um, personally, I feel like Zobek is the place to start a campaign, especially if you're new to Midgard or your players are new to Midgard. Zobek is a perfect starting point. And that Zobek Clockwork City is, you know, an awesome book. It just literally just released earlier this month. Uh, some of you may have the Zobak Gazetteer and Streets of Zobak, which is essentially what is in that book. It, it's it's taken those two, it's added a few new adventures, it's fixed some stuff where like one book said a stat block was this, another one said it was that, and you know they just kind of evened everything up. But um, you know any of those books, any of those Zobak books are good to have, and it's such a great, amazing city to play in. So. Highly recommend it. If you're not planning on playing in Zobek at all, you don't need it, right? Just like if you're not planning on playing in Southlands, you don't need it. Um, you know, uh, the world book does cover the north part of Southlands, the part you were talking about you're playing in, that Egyptian-type area. Mm -hmm. uh, so that could be enough for some people. But if you want to venture further south, yeah. Um, the only other one I would argue that I, I want to throw in there as a, as a nice-to-have is Tales of the Old Margrave, especially when you're going to be playing around Zobek. That book is fantastic. I know a lot of people who say it's their favorite Cobalt Press book. Amazing adventures, amazing setting, uh, cool poster map. It's not huge. It's like that big. I, I should have grabbed it off the shelf to show you guys. But that is uh, that is probably one of my favorite uh, books that I would I would throw in there. So, you know, that, that, would, that would be my picks. So right on. You know. Hey, if you guys have some favorites. Put them in the comments below, and uh, we'll read them in the future. You know, tell us what book you like, why, and how you use it. Um, you know, the more information we share with the uh, community, you know, the better. Yeah. But um, when you start diving into the content, uh, you, you'll find that Midgard is flavored with a strong dose of European and Middle Eastern mythology, along with a big dab of Scandinavian and African mythos uh, mixed in. So as an art overview, we're going to dive into the world book starting on page eight. This, the, the, the very page Joe uh, suggested that you start with in, in the world book. It's called The Seven Secrets of Midgard. And as stated in the book, these seven foundational mysteries provide a quick summary for the game master who wants to plan out a short campaign or even a long story arc. It's also helpful information from the player. Uh, perspective as well. And you got to remember, you know, there's player knowledge versus character knowledge. And uh, you can take that uh, player knowledge and work it into a backstory uh, for your uh, for your characters. So Joe, start us off with the first one. Yeah, so uh, this is always one of my favorites. So for all of, of you flat earthers, you're going to love this because instead of the sphere, the world of Midgard is a floating disc shaped uh, object, you know, so it's a nice flat world. Um, and it's encircled by Velus, uh, a serpent god that's biting down its own tail, kind of Ouroboros style, right? Um, 
there are very few people who really made it to the edge to see this this great beast for themselves. Uh, and as far as like what's underneath, no one really knows for sure. Um, you know, yeah, on the other side of the coin, right? Yeah, on the other side, right at the bottom. Yeah, so if we yeah. flipped over. What's down? If we could walk around the edge, you know, or, or dig through, what would be down there? No, no one knows. Right? There's rumors of a civilization of Fae that live on the bottom half. You know, called the Summerlands. Um, but make it whatever you want. It could be like your other favorite campaign setting could be down there for, you know, if you wanted to, so you can combine worlds or your own homebrew, like so cool. Right. Because another, another example of how they've left it open for you to interpret how you want. Uh, but you know, Midgard's not really a modern world, uh, dressed up in like those few medieval bits of armory and weaponry. Right. It, it, it Midgard makes kind of the mythical real, uh, with this world to explore literally from edge to edge. And, you know, we'll get into, uh, Velus the Serpent more when we talk about Midgard's, uh, gods and all that. Um, but, uh, Velus is kind of commonly referred to as the Great Serpent, you know, a monstrous beast that kind of defines the edge of the world. Uh, and some say maybe even created the entire world. Um, and we'll get more, I think, into creation down the line because there's a lot of opinions on the creation of the world. But, you know, he's basically biting his own tail and he kind of creates the tides through his breathing as he breathes in and out. Uh, you know, his storms come from its its snorting and sneezing. And, uh, you know, parts of the world don't know much about him. Other parts are more into him. So, like, Velus is really well known in the Northlands. Uh, and uh, what is it called? The Matari? Um, is that how you say it? The Matari Empire? I've heard it pronounced Maharati. Maharati. Yeah. That's probably more right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, he's less well-known in other places. But, you know, if you refer to the Great Serpent, people will know what you're talking about kind of thing. Um, but, you know, he's this kind of big, powerful, uh, you know, he's even can maybe referred to as a lazy god who kind of doesn't really speak to his worshippers. Prophecies about him will say that someday he shall consume the entire world, you know. Um he is, you know, a creature of the end of all things. And, you know, it doesn't really have a lot of worshipers, but it makes for some great cults in your game. So a really, really neat mythos just around that, you know. Um, but the other kind of big thing, right, is, is the elemental dragon lords. I'll kind of let you explain that. Yeah, totally. You know, you mentioned uh, the, the Maharati. Um, this is a kingdom where that was created by dragons, where... Non-dragons are minorities. You know, the, the, the country is, is, is ruled by dragons. In fact, um, the founder of the Maharati Empire is Maharat. And uh, he's this lawful, neutral, male, ancient fire dragon. And one of the big differences between how dragons are, yes. are, are, tied together is 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 uh in midgard dragons are more elemental and not so much on the chromatic or uh, metallic, metallic uh, sense yeah. you know so so like a red dragon would be you know a fire dragon or a flame dragon you know gold and silver you know they they're kind of tied to the wind um we don't want we don't want to say that their their creature type is not elemental their creature type is still dragon it's right. just more of the affiliation we think of them as more part of the elements themselves. Yeah. And, and there's, there's earth-based dragons, you know, different types of creatures, you know, not just specifically yeah. one, uh, water, you know, and so forth. And, but, you know, the one common thread is, you know, the dragons are greedy and uh, they're, you know, on the lazy side. So several centuries ago, 
most, most dragons combine their resources to form a vast empire. And uh, realizing that this could give them more influence and power uh, rather than fighting each other and sitting in a cave on a pile of, of gold, you know, kind of like smog, you know, in, in The Hobbit. And the, the Mahavati Empire is considered in Midgard lore to be the most populous and powerful country in the known setting. And if you're looking for a good um, analog, you know, in, in our world, you know, think of the Ottoman Empire. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah, they are a scaled race, you know, from dragons all the way down to the lowly kobolds. You know, they have dragonborn in there. In fact, all of the dragon-based uh, um, um, races are, are, they call each other dragon kin. And, uh, and uh, the uh, scaled races are the dominant uh, social force. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, there's not humans and elves and dwarves. There are. In fact, and we'll get into this uh, in in future episodes. The uh, the ruler, you know, the 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 vizier, you know, of the uh, Maharati Empire has been humans. Um, you know, the the setting has ad advanced a little bit. You know, ten years, and it's it's different now. But you know, they have used uh, humans to run their government and uh, and uh, keep everything in check, keep the economy running, and uh, things like that. So with this patronage uh, of the dragon gods and the aid of elemental sorcery, you know, this empire has grown great. Yeah. Um, Joe, you know, what, what do you think? You know, uh, you know uh, what I wanted to add to this is, you know, I noticed you, you compared it to the Ottoman Empire. And that's something I think that's really cool about Midgard in general is it does kind of almost overlay over our world, the real world, in, in a sense. If you look at the map, it looks very much like Africa and Europe and Scandinavia and all those, because it was kind of roughly designed like that. And culturally, it's very similar. So when you're wondering, like, what is this place like? Generally, there is some kind of real life comparison that you can kind of say, okay, here's a flavor. And it, it's not so much, like, oh, it's exactly this. It's just to kind of add a bit of flavor so and reference for you to run your game better. But you will find that these, these different empires definitely have a very unique culture of their own as well. And like you said, the the uh, the dragons and the dragon kin are very dominant in, in this region. Um, and I think that plays out very much in, um, you know, you will see non-dragon kin maybe being treated a little more poorly in, in that empire. And, you know, the way the social interactions might go for your players there, if one of your players is a dragonborn compared to, you know, a, a human or an elf. Um, they're going to have a different experience in that empire. Yeah. And totally up to you. You know, nothing's locked in, you know. Nothing's locked in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, again, you know, it, it's very cool how you can take this stuff and really make it your own. Um, you know, and I think another big part uh, of Midgard, you know, dra dragons play a very big role. And dragons are very active in Midgard, right? They don't, they don't sit around. They make great villains and even NPCs for your campaign. The other thing that does is the gods, right? The gods play uh, a very active role in, you know, with the mortals in Midgard. Um, the gods kind of do this thing where they wear these masks to kind of conceal their true identity. And and the, the names, uh, they're, they're, they have these different names. They're various. They're shifting uh, across lands. They change their appearance and to show themselves as they prefer to be seen in particular lands and avoid being replaced. Um, so, you know... Think of like Juniper 
uh, from Roman and, and Zeus from Greek, that could be the same god with a different mask. That's kind of the idea. Or in your version, they could be two different gods. It, it, it's, again, one of those things that they leave somewhat vague so you can kind of do what you want with it. But generally speaking, these gods, uh, there's only so many gods, and they they reach across civilizations across the world. And um, they have different worshipers that worship them differently in different places, and they have different appearances. Yeah, cultural, um, you know, cultural yeah, differences very, very too. Cultural, right? Like mm -hmm. the god of death in the Northlands is, you know, very much more of which is more of like a, a Viking type culture compared to down in the Southlands, that's more of like an Egyptian type culture, you know. But the same god might be the god of death in both places, so it's kind of neat. Yeah, and these um, gods don't put on a physical mask, physical right? Physical mask, right? I was going to yeah, say, right? Yeah, yeah it's more, it's, I mean, they're gods, right? They just change their appearance. Like, it's an avatar, so to speak, or, a, you know, symbolism. It's like, kind of like, what, what is the, the magic item? The, uh, the, hat, the, of hat, disguise. About, yeah. the hat of disguise. The hat of disguise, thank you. It's like, I put on a hat of disguise sort of thing, but, you know, they're gods. So they just, you know, snap their fingers and they, they appear how they want to appear. Um, so don't interpret that mask too literally, but... You know, as a GM, we kind of see God's mask as the appearance they assume, um, you know, for their worshipers in that place. So um, it's kind of almost impossible to reveal the true face of a God. Like, we don't know if his true face is Zeus or Juniper, right? Or maybe something else. We just don't know. Uh, it, it, again, your world, you do what you want with it. Make them separate gods. Make them the same God. It doesn't matter, right? It, it's totally up to you. And I, I play with this a lot, especially with my cleric. Um, you know, deities kind of may take up different names, different moral codes, even different teachings from culture to culture, uh, yet are, you know, united by like a similar theme, right? Um, you know, think of Thor and uh, Perun are both, you know, kind of lightning gods. Is it the same god? Maybe. I don't know. You know, it could just be the same god in a different mask. That's, again, kind of up to you and your your version of Midgard. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, the gods in Midgard, they do kind of have this this rich and kind of strange history. Uh, they're described as kind of slippery, demanding. Uh, they're more, you know, they're much more than just, you know, voices that answer pleas of healing, blessings, you know, prayers, that kind of thing. Uh, the gods really have their own goals, uh, their own needs. Uh, you know, they want worshipers. I kind of think of it almost kind of very Greek in how, like, when we when we read Greek mythology, the gods had a heavy hand in the mortal world. Um, I think the gods of Midgard also can have a heavy hand. It's, again, kind of up to you. Uh, I think at least in certain regions, they might have more of a heavy hand than others. But they definitely like to interfere and mingle. So they play games among their own kind. It's, it, you know, for power, deception. Um, they're they're kind of jerks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they really are. They're kind of jerks. Uh, I mean, not all of them. Some of them are, are nice. But I think that uh, they, they, have, they have their own end game. So you can really dive into that with your campaigns if you really want to go kind of God-centric with your campaign and stop the evil God from destroying this, you know, something, you can totally do that. Uh, it, it's definitely possible or have a, a, a player who's a child of a God, maybe grab the, um, the, what's the book that uh, Watson released the Odyssey of, uh, can't remember the book. It was a very Greekish book, but it talked about how you can have uh, kind of godlike powers for your, you know, your uh, player. Uh, if they're a son of a god. So you can maybe tie some of that in if you wanted to kind of do that too in Midgard. So it's kind of neat. Um, 
what else? I mean, what else do you think? What, what would be the, what's the next secret of Midgard? Well, you know, it, it's something that I alluded to earlier, you know, uh, when I talked about, you know, vampires really attracted me to, uh, to Midgard. There's a bunch of very flavorable hidden races that um, exist. They're not always very prominent, um, depending on what part of Midgard you're on. But uh, but the, the lore has several races, and they all have a prominent place in, in the world, you know, from the outset. Um, there, there are people, peoples that are isolated, uh, only recently have been discovered uh, to the point where they are starting to interact with uh, a wider society. Uh, the setting, you know, features your traditional humans, elves, dwarves. Uh, humans aren't I, I don't consider humans to be the dominant race. You know, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of them, but there's also just as many elves and dwarves. Uh, but there are also some really cool ra uh, um, races, you know, called the Raven Folk. Uh, they have Minotaurs, uh, Kobolds, uh, Dragonborn, uh, Trollkins, you know, uh, you know, kind of part troll, part giant or, or, or something like that. And th these races had a place in the world from the very beginning, you know, their, their ambitions uh, led to the founding of, of very unique kingdoms, which is what I really dug. You know, you got the iron crags, that's all dwarves. You got the, uh, uh, the Peruna or, or the daughters of Perun, um, you know, a, a, as a different country, you've got the cat folk uh, in, uh, in uh, Nuria Natal in the Southlands. But, you know, I talked earlier, you know, vampires, I love vampires. I love, uh, I love gothic uh, horror. And there's a whole country. It's called the Blood Kingdom of Morgu. And it's near Zobek. And, and, it's, and it's a, 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 a kingdom that you can use as, as a protagonist. Yeah. Uh, to to that area, you know, even there, in the there's a whole campaign, there's a whole published campaign that takes place in that in that kingdom. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know they've been a menacing and slowly expanding presence in um, in, in uh, Midgard for years. Their country is officially called the Greater Duchy of Morgu, you know, and uh, and it's made up of 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 the principalities of Morgu and Duresh. And, uh, you know, we'll go into this a little bit later, show a map of, of how everything uh, relates together. But as history advanced, you know, went from the 2012 version of the world book to the 2018 version, uh, they have since taken over a third province called Krakovar. And they were called the Electoral Kingdom. And uh, they're, they're up to the north and uh, that country borders, you know, an ocean up there. It's a gloomy land. It's mist shrouded, you know, think Ravenloft, you know, amped up to, you know, 11, uh, steep gorges, dark forests, everything is there is ruled by vampires, ghouls, or uh, other types of uh, intelligent uh, undead. And, you know, if you're alive, you're food, <laughs> you know, you got, got to kind of think about that. Yeah. Try playing political intrigue campaign with undead. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're closely aligned with another race called the Derekul. And uh, they live deep uh, in the airless earth. You know, we've heard Wolfgang talk about, scratch his head, you know, you know, the dro, you know, there's no air down there. You know, what better place for an airless, dark environment uh, to live in is, is ghouls. And we, we don't know how 
you know, to the full extent. You know, what we know right now is that the kingdom uh, stretches uh, from below the Iron Crags, underneath the Margrave Forest, uh, as far north as uh, Krakovia, um, possibly, uh, um, you know, uh, underneath um, Zobek. You know, in fact, uh, um, Empire of the Ghouls is a campaign uh, in, uh, in, in uh, that Cobalt Press uh, released. And, uh, you know, the campaign, you know, starts in, uh, in Zobek and eventually, you know, the party ends up in the, uh, in the Ghoul Imperium, you know, but these guys, these guys take ghouls to another level. Yeah. They're smart. They will eat you and they'll put you on a plate on a table and start slowly eating you. You're still alive. The, if they need to replace people, you know, they'll take the living and uh, turn them into uh, ghouls, you know, and yeah, these, these they'll guys... also make deals with you, right? They'll, sure. they'll make trade agreements with you. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 they're literally people sort of. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. They're, they're, not they're mindless eating machines. Yeah. They are a fleshed out culture. Yeah. Not mindless, very smart, very powerful. You don't want to get bitten by one of those guys. But, There's a great uh, NPC, Derekul, that lives in Zobek that you can interact with, too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the Drow, in, it, it, they exist along with, you know, the, uh, the uh, Dark uh, Dwarves and Creepers, you know, and, but they're more refugees, uh, you know, that have fled, you know, the, uh, you know, the Underdark uh, and have come to the surface. And uh, so... Excellent, excellent uh, race. Uh, it, it's a it's a hard character to play, but it's totally doable. Totally doable. Another race, uh, another hidden race is 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 called Winterfolk Halflings, and uh, they are a race that you don't see too much about. They live up in the north. They're rarely seen. They're a stay at home race. You know, they would just rather fish and and uh, enjoy each other's company than go out in an adventure. Uh, but you know they uh, make it make their living uh, primarily as barge folks. You know, hauling you know a lot of, a big quantity of of goods uh, you know over the rivers, and um, and you, you'll see them more you know in the northern part of the main continent. You know, in the River Court or in the Grand Duchy of Dornig. Of course, you know we're going to have episodes on those. You know. Um, but uh, that race is widely believed to be indentured to the elves before the Great Retreat. And uh, that was the time when Midgard was primarily elves. And they decided, you know, peace out. We're out of here. We're, we're uh, going somewhere. And, you know, yeah. like Joe said, it could be underneath. Underneath, you know, know, it could be a different continent. Uh, you know, we don't yeah. know, we but don't know. but the origins of the winter folk, you know, that's that's one of the great mysteries, and it's it's ripe for you to contribute your own ideas. Now, one of my favorite ones, and this is the last one I'm going to talk about, is the cat folk, and um, it's it the race is not talked about too much in the Midgard World Book. It's featured more prominently in the Southlands campaign setting. Uh, but the catfolk are feline humanoids of natural grace and an insatiable curiosity. Tabaxi-like, but not tabaxi. Yeah, not tabaxi at all. Not tabaxi at all. Yeah, and there are two main branches of them. You know, uh, one is the Bastetti, 
you know, they're mischievous, they're irrepressible, they adore Bastet, the, the cat goddess. And, and the ones down in the south, you know, the plains, you know, in the center of the continent, uh, they're called the Nkosi. And uh, they are, consider themselves the chosen people of Gamka Firemane. And, and that is the return titan of Umphaya. You know, again, you know, more on this in future episodes. But uh, you can think of them as, you know, very Zulu-like or, you know, uh, 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 some other African tribe, tribal race um, or, or culture, you know, not race, but, but a culture. But uh, the Bastedi, you know, they, they are found largely in, in uh, Nuria. And uh, and then the uh, Nkosi, you know, they honor heroism and honor above all things. I play one, a, a character who made a blood oath, but but got so drunk, was so drunk when they made that blood oath, they can't remember, you know, what their blood oath was. So they were cast out of their tribe and um, and uh, they are venturing to try to find magic to to find out what that blood oath is, you know? So that, that's a character I'll, I'll talk about uh, in, in a future that's episodes. Awesome. I but I think of these guys as, you know, kind of the Klingons of the Southlands, not as as bad as, uh, not bad as a poor choice of words, but not as Klingon-y, you know, but, you know, they're they're very, they're, I, I would say they're mixed between a Viking and, and a Klingon, you know? Honor and glory is, is, uh, is, um, you know, what matters to them most. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, what do you think? Uh, I I love the cat folk, man. Like, I, I want to play a, a cat folk bard that talks to its tail. The <laughs> tail always ruins the punchlines. That, that's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to figure out how to do kind of a build a cat version of a of a cat folk, too, you know? If, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that for one of our, our, our character build uh, episodes. I'll build that character. Right on, right do. on. But uh, so what else? What, what the next big mystery of of uh, Midgard, right, is probably one of my favorites. One of the things that really drew me into the world, right, and that's ley lines and the shadow roads, which are two separate things yet one and the same. It's kind of weird, um, you know. I did a lot of reading to really get clarification on it, and it's one of those things that I feel like they again left somewhat intentionally vague, so you can kind of interpret it. But there is a lot of material on this out here, so. Um, you know, what are our ley lines? And, and some people will pronounce these ley lines, but I will fight you. I think it's ley lines. Uh, just like, um, you know, you went in, you, you were just talking about the dro. I will fight you and say it's drow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, Wolfgang calls it ley lines. That's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's ley lines. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so. Where, like, you know, a lot of you are more familiar, I would guess, with, like, Forgotten Realms, right? Where um, magic comes from the weave, or in Dragonlance, it comes from the moons. Well, in Midgard, it comes from ley lines, which are, uh, you know, it, it, in Midgard, ley lines are this kind of, um, this fixture of the world, right? They're there. They're these, this crisscrossing rivers of magic that flow through the world. There's actually a map, uh, which uh, we'll put up. But uh, these ley lines are all over the place. And on this map, it, you're only going to see the largest titanic ley lines. But think about how a river has all these other branches that come off, all these other pieces that feed into the, the, the bigger river, right? These tributaries and stuff like that. So there are, are these different sizes of ley lines, all the way from small ones to these titanic ones you see on the map. And, you know, um, 
a good way to kind of describe them is almost like a circulatory system uh, of the world as well. Like if you want to think of it that way, uh, that it's basically essential to the life uh, of, of spellcasters. Uh, you need that magic. And um, what's cool is like, you know, there's branches, like I said, of these ley lines that flow along these mystical passages. They traverse the plains. Um, and that's where we kind of get into the, what we call, you know, the Fey roads or the shadow roads. You can, ride these these uh ley lines these shadow roads to get from point a to point b and traverse long distances something that might take you months to traverse you can do in days on a on a shadow road so uh if you know how to access them uh and and people who know how to access them guard that secret closely that's not something that's just anybody can go and say oh i'm gonna go you know it's not hopping on the expressway uh you have to know how to do it but if you do uh, you can access these shadow roads and traverse this massive world of Midgard really, really quickly. So if you want to get your party from point A to point B quickly, maybe there's an NPC that can help them do that through a shadow road. But it's a great way to to do that without just hand wave a, and montage a travel scene that would take months, right? Yeah, I mean, there's creatures, you know, good and bad that live in these shadow roads. Yeah, and, I mean, there's the Book of Shadows, right? Evan, the Evan Tides book kind of touches on this and different things you can do. There's monsters in our monster books that we talked about earlier that specifically will hang out in Shadow Roads. Yeah, and, and they all they, they all can look differently. You know, it's just not this tunnel. You know, it could be yeah. a creepy forest or a beautiful vista or a desert, you know, wh whatever you want. Yep. Yeah, and depending maybe depending on where, you're, where it is and where you're going to. I mean... You can make it kind of make it like a wonderland. I kind of picture it as like going into Wonderland. Yeah. Right? It, it, you know, make it a little trippy. It, it could be a lot of fun. So, um, but you know, uh, the other thing about the ley lines is I, I kind of compare them to rivers, and I kind of like that analogy because they tend to follow the contours of the land like rivers. They will go through mountains, through valleys, um, things like that. It, it's it's a it's on this magical current, and uh, the train will also react to that current. So not only will will the the ley line be shaped by the land, but the land can also be shaped by the ley lines. Right. Uh, so it's it's very unique. And there's cities built on the Titanic ley line. Anywhere there's a generally a Titanic, a big ley line, there is some kind of major city like uh um uh, you know uh what's called uh Naru Natal down mm -hmm. in the Southlands mm -hmm. uh built right on this massive Titanic ley line because you know there's power there. So you, you know, it's not like you just go walk up and say, I'm going to tap into this Titanic ley line. It, it, you know, you have to build up uh, and become a, a skill caster. In the beginning, you can only touch onto the smaller ones. And over time, you can get into bigger and bigger ones. Um, there are feats that will allow spellcasters to do this. Or if you're a wizard, there is a specific uh, wizard uh, subclass uh, for lay magic that lets you do even more where you can not only tap them and they will augment your power, making spells more powerful and stuff like that. But there it's almost like a, a wild magic where you'll get this kind of random effect generally, but some people can actually lock a ley line into a specific effect. So you, if you're, if you know what you're doing, you can say, I always want this effect when I'm using this ley line, then you can access that ley line from great distances where normally you'd have to be right next to it. Right. So, very, very cool stuff. I, I feel like we're going to have to dive more into lay magic in an episode at some point because it is it is its own ball of wax. But, um, you know, ley lines definitely to me are one of the most fun things to play with in Midgard. I was super excited that 
the wizard of my upcoming campaign decided to go this route because I am looking forward to it as a DM to, to play with that. So, yeah. And if you want to dig more into ley lines, um, there's a supplement available in Cobalt Press's store. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll probably have the author of that supplement uh, yeah, on a sure. future episode. You know, yep. this guy's an expert in, in ley lines and uh, he'll provide you some great information. And and the, the Midgard Heroes Handbook that we suggested earlier, as well as the World Book, both have information on ley lines and ley magic. The the subclass I mentioned, I believe, is in the Midgard Heroes Handbook. Yeah. Um, so if those are the two books you've got right now, you have enough to get going. But I would hop on the Cobalt Press store and grab that Ley Lines PDF. It's like three bucks or something, and it's cheap. Yeah, um, get totally. it because it expands on it, tells you more, has some extra spells, as does Deep Magic, because um, it is such a cool school of magic. Really, really neat. So, yeah. So, so you know, Midgard was never intended to be this static world where the published material uh, takes place in the same year or in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is the next secret, you know, it, it, it ebbs and flows according to how the story that you want to tell. So, you know, Cobalt Press does, has offered us this mega plot, you know, that's built into the setting, you know, in terms of, of published material. But, uh, you know, this particular secret is, is more of advice, you know, it's not really lore. And, one thing that you'll you'll hear uh, Wolfgang talk about a lot is consider making politics, you know, revolts, status, elitism. All of those can be protagonists in your game. Even the gods, you know, a, a god can mask themselves as a little old lady, you know, walking on the street or somebody uh, uh, nursing a, a, a mug of mead, you know, in, in a tavern somewhere, you know. So, you know... It, your, your your protagonists aren't just monsters and, and big bads, you know. Um, elitism is is a major core component of another campaign uh, called Courts of the Shadow Fae, and you can really use you know elitism to and and status to drive your players crazy. Um, the 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 lore, you know, even the 2012 lore and even the earlier stuff, it's 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 still good, it's still relevant, but it but it but it's history, and and the great thing about Midgard is that it is a world of cultures that are designed to change, to collapse, to grow over time, and some of those changes have come to pass, as Joe and I uh, keep uh, talking yeah. about, you know, from addition to the addition, borders have shifted, crowns have been seized or restored. Uh, you know, the Electoral Royal Kingdom that I talked about uh, earlier, you know, they weren't taken over by um, the uh, Duchy of Morgu in the 2012 version, but they have been in in the uh, latest version, the 2018 version. And Cobalt right. Press wisely advises that there's just no point in playing a game where nothing changes but the statistics on a player's sheet. Um Another thing that they, they, they talk about, you know, as, as more of a kind of a GM suggestion is, you know, characters grow through experience and learning. So, you know, as you level, you know, it's not necessarily that a new spell pops into my brain and I'm able to cast Fireball. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I've studied, that I've used my downtime, 
uh, to learn, or I found a, a wizard's book, you know, that taught me how to do a spell or, or some other uh, piece of lore. So, you know, find out whether your players have what it takes and use, you know, some external environmental, you know, things uh, to really kind of add flavor and uh, add tension uh, to your games. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, one of the things you're talking about, you know, how stuff changed in the, the handbook here on page 22, they actually, one of the last things they have is they're talking about the history is recent events. And it basically talks about mostly the last 10 years, 10, 12 years, though there is something about the last 50, but basically what, what are the, you know, just bullet points. It's, it's one page bullet points of recent events. So, you know, if you just kind of want to know real quick, well, what's been going on in the world recently, it's right there in the world book for you. So you can kind of see what, what those changes really were from the previous book to this one in a quick summary. And it, I think it really shows that dynamic change of the world. Yeah. And there's that timeline that spans across multiple pages, yeah. you know, going. Yep. Yeah. It shows you all the way from creation through like now what's happened. So it, it, it's awesome the way they, they do that. Yeah. So essentially Midgard time flies, right, Joe? Time does fly, which kind of brings us into the next thing, right? Um, and uh, th this is kind of a little two-part thing, but Midgard's got a couple of really unique, uh, I don't want to call them rules, but we'll call them unique optional rules for your game. Uh, one of which I use in all of my games, not just my Midgard games now, and it's called Time Flies. So when we play a game, right, let's say we're going to play, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, Tomb of Annihilation, right? Our players start off at level one, and by the end of it, they're level, you know, well, let's say they're level like 13, and maybe like six weeks have passed. <laughs> like, that's a lot of power in a month and a half, maybe two months. Uh, and that, that's kind of a common theme, and I think in fifth edition is, you know, nowadays people got used to video games, World of Warcraft, and all this stuff where we level up, level up, level up. And, you know, at the end of my session, my players always say, did we level up yet? You know, and generally we're leveling up every like four, maybe five sessions, right? Um, and that doesn't matter whether you're doing experience points, milestone, however you do it. Generally, that's how often you're leveling up. How much time is really passing in game? And if you think about it, that's a that that is a lot of power to be gained. A level twenty character is practically a god in a world. I mean, they are powerful. So why are they leveling? Like, why? How are they getting this much power this quick? It. it and I, we get it mechanically, it happens, but it doesn't really make sense. So time flies is meant to kind of compensate for that. And, and it's a very simple rule that basically says between our sessions, if we ended a session today, we get back to town and we're going to play again in two weeks. Our next session is two weeks from today. When we get back together, four weeks have passed in game. So double, just double the in time game from how much time has been in between sessions. If we're in the middle of a dungeon and we kind of had to stop, you know, and we play in two weeks, we bank that four weeks. And when we get back to town to rest up, all that bank time will then have passed. And that does a couple things. One, it makes the the leveling and the power we've gained a little bit more realistic. Uh, it also allows for fun stuff. All these downtime activities that we want to do. I wish I could craft a weapon or, you know, enchant a magic item or you know, what about that, that, you know, uh, when we, when we ran those bad guys out of that bar, we took it over because we all have done that and take over a bar yeah. at some point in our D and D games. Now we got to run that bar and that's time to do that. And, uh, Tome of Heroes that came out recently this year, uh, has got a whole bunch of cool downtime activities and stuff like that. Um, you know, if you want to train in new skills, if that's something you allow in your games, 
all this downtime is the perfect time to do that. So, so much you can do with it because, you know, um, like we said, it's, it it also kind of makes your adventures more of like these long sagas, right? Like, you know, rather than jumping place to place to place to place in a short time, now our campaign maybe spans years in game as opposed to weeks or months. And uh, it can be a lot of, a lot more, I think, fun and uh, cool for the players to be able to get that downtime for their characters. So I'll generally just tell my players, you know, what, you know, all right, we're playing in two weeks. That's four weeks of downtime. Tell me what you want to do during that time. And we'll communicate over Discord or email. They'll tell me what they want to do. And then we, when we get back together, we'll roll some dice and I'll, I'll tell them what the results are. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. I use that in all my campaigns now uh, to great success. Everybody loves it, right? Right. It's super cool. You you can even have downtime sessions. You know, I'm going shopping. I'm mm-hmm. going to school, taking a class. Yep. Um, we do it on Discord. Yeah. That's where we do a lot of our downtime yeah. stuff is we'll just be chatting over the next two weeks. We're chatting on Discord. I'm asking them questions. I'm having them roll dice, you know, just in between whenever. You know, at night, I'm on the phone texting them about what's going on in downtime. And they love it because they get to stay in character during all that. And it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, right, what so the the other the other rule that we kind of touched on, you mentioned it in your previous little talk there was about status. And I know Courts of Shadow Fay dives into it, Margrave dives into it, but status is a thing in Midgard. So, tell us a bit about status because you you've played with it more than I have. Yeah, yeah. It it's prestige and status is is a matter of importance. And the setting assumes that your characters come from different stations, social classes, backgrounds, educational level, um, all sorts of stuff, you know, and, and your social standing, you know, can be reflected in uh, status mechanics. Um, you know, let, let me give you an example. You know, it, it, in a lot of games, it's too easy to get information. You know, you walk up to some stranger, you introduce themselves, and then suddenly the stranger is just gushing a, a, a bunch of information onto you. You know, what you can use status is, you know, and status could be a numerical formula or, or, or whatever works, you know, in your game. And, and you know, the way I used it in, in um, you know, Courts of the Shadows phase, we had a... Um, a PC that was a luchador, you know, a very famous wrestler, well-known. It was, it was, even though he wore a mask, he was the face of the group. It was easier for him to get uh, information because he was handing out, you know, uh, autographs and, uh, and things like that. So he had a, he, because of his celebrity, he had a lot more, a higher status and, and, and he was able to, to, to get more information uh, from folks. And we had another character that was uh, Nkosi. You know, um, Nkosi aren't common in, in Zobek. You know, you may find one here or there as a trader or something like that, but uh, it's going to be harder for, you know, a, a character of that race in Zobek uh, to elicit information. So, you know, you can use status at a level of, you know, I am a peasant or I'm a noble or I'm a scion of a of a noble you know child um and and the gms you know can you can really use status as a protagonist in your game you know think high school you know if you weren't part of a certain group you know you didn't exist and um and and again you know that elitism 
is 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 what you can use to just drive your players nuts. And there is a section in the world book uh, uh, about status. It's it's kind of a table. You know, it's found on 25 in the world. Yeah, page 25. Um, But, uh, you know, Joe and I, we're going to talk in in future episodes on how you can really amp up status and really use that as a uh, as as a storytelling tool. You know, what what do you think? I mean, I I, like I said, uh, we talked about this uh, offline as well. But, you know, status in the world book, I think it was kind of created. And it's kind of cool because essentially, like you said, like the guy with the most status kind of became the face of the party. But when you look at like Courts of the Shadow Fae, and if you don't have that book, that's a great book to have. Uh, it's a great, a great adventure, um, but it goes into a lot more depth on how status works within the court itself. Um, same thing with uh, Tales of the Old Margrave that I mentioned earlier in this episode. Uh, you can actually have a status with the Margrave itself because it is somewhat of this intelligent forest. And depending on your intentions and how you treat the forest, you know, the forest is going to react differently to you. Um, in the world book, it's more of status as a whole within Midgard. Right. But in, and like we said, we'll, we'll talk about it more down the line. But I like I, I like the idea of kind of breaking status regionally almost and having status as like, a you know, what's my status in Zobek compared to what's my status in, you know, the seven cities kind of thing. And, you know, how well known am I across the world? Yeah. So it, it could be a fun mechanic. I, I, I want to have a space for, uh, on, on the character sheets for it and definitely use it in my upcoming campaign because um, I think it'll be fun uh, to see how the party reacts and, and will it influence what they're going to do? Will they, will they make less jerk moves? <laughs> they know it's going to hurt their status. Right. Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious because it's, it's almost like a replace. I don't want to call it a, a replacement for alignment. Um, you know, and I know some people just don't even really pay attention to alignment, but it it, it almost is kind of like a, a supplement to alignment in a way. Yeah. Um, because your actions will affect your status, just like your actions can affect your alignment. Right, right. It's it's a great way to organically advance your character. Yeah. Yeah. So really, really neat, man. I, I like it. I wanna I wanna play with it more in my upcoming game. Yeah. So that's the seven secrets of Midgard. You know, this is the if you, if you yeah, if you read anything, read that that section in in the world book. Yeah. So sure. there's there's so much to unpack in Midgard and and even in each of these secrets. So in future episodes, uh, we're going to talk about we're going to go deeper into the first five, and uh, you know we'll start with the uh, a flat world, and and that's where we'll kind of uh, provide an overview of the various countries uh, in Midgard. Uh, show off the map. If you want to see a Midgard uh, map, uh, it, it's available online. It's midgardmap.cobaltpress.com. We'll put that information in the uh, description below. But uh, you'll see the entire part of that coin. And don't think that that's it. I don't believe that that's all that's there. I, I, I think that, you know, what you see on the map is just a portion of of the coin. There's there's got to be more in the north, the south, the east, and west. We don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, the map ends on land, right? Like it kind of cuts off yeah. on that eastern portion. So we know there's something there. We just don't know what yet. So yeah, will we get published material? I hope so. If not, you know, I'll make it up as I go. <laughs> oh yeah, but heck, just the stuff in the blog. Yeah, it's enough to go with. You know. Yeah. So, so much information. 
So, you know, so we're going to do a bunch of episodes that's going to dive deeper into all of the regions, the countries, the races that uh, rule and reside them. And we'll always try to tie in published adventures that take place uh, in these areas. And if no adventures are available, we'll offer some advice on creating your own adventures for a particular area. Um, we're, we're also going to have some fun segments. You know, we're in each of our uh, episodes, we're going, Joe and I are going to pick a, a creature, you know, from from the more than 1,200 beasts published in Just Cobalt Press's Beast Series alone. Uh, so we'll talk about, you know, where they uh, live, you know, the lore behind those creatures, and most importantly, how to play them. And we're also going to have kind of a character forge too, you know, where, you know, we're going to, you know, talk about characters that we play um, and uh, we'll do some character builds using the uh, 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 Cobalt Press material. So, so it's going to be fun. And, and the goal here is to kind of inspire you, you know, of course, with a caster, there's going to be your go-to spells, you know, that's in the core material published by wizards, but there's so much flavor uh, in, in spell casting and different subclasses and different races uh, that is available in Midgar as well. So, so this is going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited about it, man. I, I, I'm already playing a, a, a character in a non-Midgar campaign, but using Cobalt Press's Tomohiro's book, and it's so much fun. <laughs> it's yeah. so great. So I'm excited to kind of dive in and, and do some of that character forging and show off some of the, my favorite monsters because I... Um, you, I think you and I might know those monster books <laughs> better than anybody. Probably a little we, too good. Uh, we both work on, on the boundary conversions for them for Cobalt Press. Yeah. So <laughs> we know them really well. Yeah. So, Joe, how oh, can yeah. people reach it's you? fun, man. I'm excited. Well, uh, you can reach me a few ways. So, uh, obviously, um, hit me up on uh, the Midgard Adventures Discord at DM Toolbox on there. Uh, but make sure you follow me on YouTube. I put out, uh, I try to put out videos weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, depending on the week and how busy my life is. But uh, my YouTube channel is also DM Toolbox. And I'm on Twitter, uh, which is, a, I couldn't get DM Toolbox. So I'm Toolbox underscore DM on there. But my TikTok, my Facebook, my Instagram are all DM Toolbox. So you can get me on all the socials. We'll put that stuff down in the notes uh, and whatnot. But yeah, how about you, Click? Yeah, uh, hit me up on the uh, Midgard Adventures uh, Discord server. Uh, I'm at Clayton Thompson, uh, and that's uh, Thompson without a P. You know, I'm the uh, Scottish flavor of the uh, Thompson clan. Um, we're also going to have a dedicated channel for this show uh, on the uh, Midgard Adventure server where you can post comments, talk, uh, interact with uh, other members of the community. And, of course, you know, if that uh, Discord server is not for you, it's cool. You know, use the comments below. And uh, we'll definitely uh, share um you know, things uh, that, that are posted. Um, you know, Midgard Adventures is a great, great community of fans that just love Midgard. And uh, we've got channels galore. We got channels for all of the published material, the lore, uh, the adventures. Uh, the Mead Hall is where uh, the community hangs out the most. We talk about anything there. And, uh, you know, do check it out. You know, go ahead yeah. and uh, join Lurk, you know, and, you know, when you want to. Um, yeah. post a lot of the kobolds hang out there. A lot of the, the authors hang out and chat with us, and you know, especially in the Lord channels, one of my favorite channels to hang out in because I can post a question. A lot of times, the guy who wrote the book will answer my question. Like, who better to answer your question than that guy, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and hopefully, we'll, some of those guys hopefully will get out here to come on the show with us and hang out and talk with us about some of the stuff that they literally created for us. So, it'll be a lot of fun. 
Well, if you like our shows, please click on the like button and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. And even better, yep. spread the word about the Medgard show. And remember, yep. as Wolfgang Bauer says, strip it for parts and make it your own. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one. Take care, everyone. Thank you.